right. For the rest of us, for us big kids, if you have your Bibles with you, we are starting something new. We are going to be in the book of Mark. In the book of Mark. If you don't have a Bible with you, please find a blue one in the pew back in front of you. Uh, We'd love for you to open that one up with us. Um, Word of God is precious to us. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We want to plant our lives in the Word of God. God hears from us through prayer. We hear from God through His Word. We hear from God through His Word. Okay, Mark chapter 1. If you need a Bible, or if you know someone who needs a Bible, please take that blue one. Uh, It's about time for us to order another box or two. We've been giving those away, so please, we love giving those away. Take those home with you. Uh, We would love for that to be our gift to you. Okay, starting out the book of Mark. So here's kind of the, here's the path going from here. We're going to start Mark. We're not going to do the whole book of Mark in one setting, okay? I don't mean today, right? That'd take us two days to do. I mean, we're not going to do one sermon series until we finish Mark. We're going to do a section of Mark, and then we'll do a, a briefer sermon series, and then we'll come back to Mark. So that's kind of the goal. That's where, that's where we are going. Uh, and I titled this sermon series, Marked. I thought I was super clever until I googled Mark sermon series ideas, and like 15 or 16 images popped up. People do that all the time. So I'm not as clever as I thought. But I'm probably more clever than you think I am. So we're somewhere in between. Okay, marked. But I like this sermon series title because the entirety of our eternity rests on this question. Are you marked by Christ? That is the most important question you could ever ask yourself. Are you marked by Jesus? Nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. This church wants to tell you Jesus marking your life is the most important thing that could ever happen to you. Is that true, church? Somebody talk to that little kid. (laughs) Marked. Are you marked by Jesus? The book of Mark was written by a man named John Mark, probably around 64 A.D. And here's the interesting thing about John Mark. John Mark didn't just write the book of Mark, but he appears every so often in the New Testament. And what John Mark is known for outside of writing the Gospel of Mark, is that he came with Paul, who was a missionary, and he traveled around with Paul for a brief time, proclaiming the good news of Jesus, starting churches, seeing people saved, and at some point along this journey, John Mark abandons the mission. We don't know any particular details of why Some people think he might have gotten sick. Some people think he just missed his home. Some people think, and this is kind of where I 
hang my hat. Some people think that he saw what happens when you proclaim the gospel. That he saw the persecution, that he saw the suffering, and he realized that he just, that's not something that he wanted to do. And so Matthew Henry, as he studies Mark, he, he believes that John Mark just up and vanished one day. That's a sad story. But that's not where the story ends. For his story picks up later in the New Testament. And we see somehow, some way that God only knows and through the work of the Holy Spirit himself that John Mark was restored to Paul. And John Mark became a fixture and a leader in the early church. And John Mark, the guy who abandons the gospel, the good news of Jesus, writes the first gospel, the first account of Jesus that we have. Isn't that amazing? Can anybody be used by God? Absolutely. Are you too sinful, Christian, to be used by God? No. If he can use John Mark, and he can, if he can use me, he can use you. So, that's kind of the background. As John Mark writes his opening chapter about Jesus, a good place to start for Mark, and a good place to start for us is this question. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? You ask that question, you put it out on Google, you're going to get all kinds of answers. You might get an answer like this. Well, Jesus, he was a good man. You might get an answer like this. Jesus, I really like that guy. He would have some good things to say. You might get people say, well, Jesus is a prophet from God. He's just one of many prophets that God has sent. Some people will say he is a demon-possessed man. Some people might say he is an angel. Some people might say he is a lunatic. Some people might say he is a liar. But this question of who is Jesus really is the most important question, the most pressing question for everything in the universe. Who is Jesus really? So let's read together. Mark chapter 1. We're going to start reading right by big number 1. Who is Jesus? If I'm going to be marked by Jesus, if that determines my eternity, if I'm marked by Jesus, who is this guy, Jesus? Big number one goes like this. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. That Isaiah prophecy was about this man in verse 4 named John. A different John than Mark John who wrote the gospel. This is John the Baptist. Verse 4. John the Baptist appeared, baptizing in the wilderness. God's people, we have the word of God. When we hear wilderness, our ears need to perk up. A lot of important things happen in the wilderness. 
Moses went into the wilderness. Moses led God's people into the wilderness. God's people received the Ten Commandments in the wilderness. Jesus was tempted in, is tempted in the wilderness. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. What a weirdo. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Okay. Who is Jesus? The first part, Mark's right, John Mark's writing this gospel. If I'm going to write this, the works of Jesus, I've got to tell you, I've got to set in front of them who they are. We've got to prepare the way for when Jesus appears in the story and we see him march to the cross. How do I prepare the people who read this gospel about who Jesus is? Jesus is, number one, Jesus is not just a man, He's not just a prophet. He's not just a teacher. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. Dogs have dogs. Birds have birds. I just found out I'm having a son. Be preaching is great for narcissists, you know? I just get, bring it on. I'm having a son. I'm not having a dog. I'm not having a cat. I'm not having a bird. I'm having a human son. When God has a son, he has a son who is God. Are you with me? That's so important. Jesus is the son of God. He's not just some normal guy. He's the son of God. God is a trinity. You, what a perfect place to talk about this, a Trinity Baptist Church. God is a trinity. This means God is one God, three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. If you're going to go off the rails when it comes to Christianity, if you're going to get away from the truth, this is a big area where people mess up. God is one God, three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Father is not God the Son. God the Son is not God the Father, and He's not God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit is not God the Son, and is not God the Father. But God the Father is God. God the Son is God. God the Holy Spirit is God. Are you with me? And this Trinity existed for all eternity past and will exist for all eternity future in perfect love 
and harmony and joy and satisfaction and fun and excitement and passion. They existed as one God, three persons, without lacking anything. And then God created the universe. And we messed it up. And in God's perfect creation, humanity is lost. Through Adam and Eve's sin and death and suffering and hell entered the world, and then they had us, and we say, yeah, more of the same. Sin and death and hell, let's do it. Suffering, let's do it. Humanity is lost. And God the Father, in His plan of mercy and grace, to glorify Himself through the redemption of His people, God the Father sent God the Son And God the Son willingly put on human flesh. Taking on the name Jesus. And God the Son became one of us. How crazy is that? God the Son did not stop becoming God. He did not give up His Godhood. God the Son took on a human nature. So we have Jesus Christ coming as God the Son, being fully God and fully man. Why in the world would He be willing to do that? I don't know if you're aware of this. Humans are not the type of people that we should be associated with. Are you with me? We're frail and sickly. We're needy and broken. We are prideful, arrogant, delusional, and easily provoked to anger. We are backbiters, gossipers, slanderers, and liars. We hate and fight and make war and plunder and steal and abuse and betray. Aren't we? If you disagree with me, just watch the news for a little while, right? So Jesus, the Son of God, did not leave his throne and put on flesh because he says, boy, those humans down there, they got it figured out. I'm going to become one of them. And here's the kicker. Jesus put on our flesh and became one of us forever. There will not come a time where Jesus stops having a human nature. He's not going to put that off someday and say, finally, whoo, get this stuff out of here. Jesus is so committed to the redemption of God's creation, God the Father sent him to become one of us forever. Why? The Father's plan to fix broken humanity is for God the Son to willingly become one of us so that He could become our representative. So that He could take the sins of His brothers and sisters on His back. 
so that he could live a perfect human life to give us credit for his righteousness. And so that his death and resurrection would become the prototype for his followers' death and resurrection. Jesus isn't an angel, he's not a demon, he's not a dog, he's not an alien. These cannot be my representatives. These cannot be standing in my place. These cannot live a perfect human life that I cannot live. And Jesus is not just a man. No man can live a perfectly sinful, sinless life. Let me start that over. No man who is just a man can live a perfect, sinless life. So Jesus came and he had, he had his God nature. So he can live a perfect life. And Jesus is not just the Son of God. Without a human nature, without a body, He could not die in our place. Without a body, without a human nature, He couldn't perform and credit us with His righteousness. Without a human body, He couldn't die a human death on the cross in our place. And without a dead human body, he couldn't be resurrected from the dead, never to die again. And so because all these things are true, we have hope. Because God the Son became one of us. And he died a death. And he was resurrected forever. And he says, now, because I am your representative, all who come to me can have eternal life. And be resurrected to live with God forever. Are you with me? The Trinity is more than just some good thinking up here in the clouds. The Trinity is so important. God the Father, in His unbelievable love, mercy, and grace, sent God the Son to willingly and joyfully put on flesh to redeem all humans who repent and believe and will be with them forever church this is how committed jesus is to you he is not going to take off your human nature someday and say now you're on your own jesus is with us forever isn't that incredible wow jesus is the son of god we also see mark wants us to know that jesus is foretold we see a prophecy about John the Baptist who will prepare the way for Jesus coming hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born or John the Baptist was ever born. This is because the Holy Spirit of God gives certain men, through certain men, writes these prophecies. Seeing Jesus coming, they write about His coming. And we see prophecies written hundreds of years before Jesus about His pre-existence about his godhood, about his death, about his resurrection, about his eternal reign above all. And these things were foretold hundreds and thousands of years before Jesus will be born. In fact, Revelation 13 says there is a book that has the names of believers written on it that existed before the foundation of the world. 
Before God even created the world, there was a book with the names of who will believe in Jesus written on it. What does that tell us? That tells us Jesus is plan A. Are you with me? Jesus is plan A. What Jesus brings is not second best. It's not the, he is not the backup plan. Everything He will do is prime, top flight, top floor, choice, precise, and guided. Everything. And isn't that reassuring? We're talking about my eternal soul. We're talking about the eternal soul of my wife and my daughter and my daughters and, first time I'm going to say this, and my son. I don't want plan B. And Jesus isn't plan B. In fact, God doesn't have to have a plan B, does He? Nothing stops God's plan A. Here's a bunch of faulty plan B's. This is what we deal with. This is what the enemy wants us to believe. This is what your flesh might want you to believe. Faulty plan B's. Well, there's Jesus over there. Yeah, he's plan plan A, but maybe I'll be plan B. Plan B is, I'll be good enough. Man, at the end of the day, you know, my good will outweigh my bad, and then God will let me into heaven. That's not how it works. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If that's your plan to be just good enough to squeak by, Scripture is crystal clear, that ain't going to cut it. I've heard this, plan B is, well, I'll, I'll pray a prayer on my deathbed. I'll live my life however I want, and yeah, this Jesus guy, I'll deal with that on my deathbed. No, you won't. How do you know you have a deathbed? Maybe you have a death car or a death airplane or a death walking down the street. That's a, that's a bad plan B. Bad plan B. I will go somewhere else for salvation. Jesus says this in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is plan A, and he is the only plan. That means he is the best plan. That means no other plan can do it. He is all we need. And he was foretold from the foundation of the world. And the whole Bible, from beginning to end, is about Jesus and on the unfolding of God's gracious plan, his merciful plan. To send the God the Son to take on flesh so that he can rescue sinners. All of history, every man and woman, woman exist for Jesus. Every king, queen, president, and dictator are footnotes in Jesus' story. The sun and the moon and the stars were created to give him light as he walked the earth. That's their first priority. Plants and animals exist. Firstly, so Jesus could eat when he comes. Oxygen is in the air so that he could breathe and give us commands. Dirt and rock was formed and it was made for his feet first. Horses and donkeys were made for his ride. 
It is His universe. Every word, every breath, every blade of grass, every molecule exists for Him. And that has been true for all eternity. That is who Jesus is. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the foretold one. John Mark says, Jesus has come and He is after hearts. Read read verse 4 with me. Little number 4 goes like this. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. The religious culture of Israel will sound familiar to us. The religious culture of Israel, who were God's people in many ways, had fallen into an emphasis on what's on the outside. What's on the outside is what really matters. What you do defines who you are. We can kind of get a glimpse of this when we read the New Testament. Who does Jesus hang out with? Tax collectors and sinners. Why do you say it like that? Well, you're defined by by what you do. Instead of knowing God and being in a joyful relation with Him, following the law of God, especially with man-made laws stacked on this, this is not enough for people, you better do this and this and this, all my laws on top. Following laws became the goal instead of knowing God and for a lot of people. What people see has been incorrectly said to be more important than what goes on in my head and in my heart. And so in this religious culture, baptism is reserved for sinners and Gentiles. So baptism was a thing in Israel. You would come and you would be baptized to become a Jew. So why in the world... Does this crazy man wearing camel's hair, eating bugs dipped in honey, which I've been thinking about it, doesn't make it much better, does it? I don't care how much honey you put on that bug, I'm not going to eat it. What in the world is this crazy man doing coming to ethnic Jews telling them to be baptized? That's not how it works. Why was he telling in the whole world soon to be coming to this man, John the Baptist? Why was John the Baptist preparing people for Jesus by telling ethnic Jews who cared about God and his laws from the city of Jerusalem, why was he telling them to come be baptized in preparation for Jesus? We're already Jews, John. Check my DNA. We've got it covered. We're right with God. We don't need to be prepared. We are already in obeying God's law is enough. John, don't you see who you're talking to? Look at my clothes. Listen to my accent. Watch me at the temple. See me ritually wash myself before I enter. See how much money I give to the temple. Listen to me recite the Torah. Watch me rest on the Sabbath. I am circumcised. I don't eat pork. Why are you telling me? I need to be baptized for repentance of my sin. Because regardless of what we see on the outside, every heart needs Jesus. 
Jesus doesn't discriminate by DNA. Jesus doesn't discriminate by family affiliation. Jesus doesn't discriminate by nation or tribe or tongue. Jesus doesn't discriminate by religious actions. You call yourself a man or woman of God. You can be from the right nation, speak the right language, be in the right church, be from the right family, have the right DNA. You can have all those things right and totally miss Jesus. Because Jesus hasn't come for your outside. He's come for your heart. And when he gets your heart, your outside will follow. Jesus is coming. And everyone needs Jesus to be right with God. John came to prepare for Jesus by baptizing people for the repentance, for their repentance and for the forgiveness of sins. Hearts that are prepared for Jesus' coming knew they needed Him. John's baptizing people and says, confess your sins. Boy, that's, there's, nothing the, there's nothing the world hates more right now than saying we are all sinners. Mind your own business. Mind your own business. Well, you, you call me a sinner. I'm not a sinner. That might be right for you, but it's not right for me. It seems the only sin of our culture is calling someone something a sin. It seems the only sin of our culture is to call something a sin. You can't do that. If we don't confess our sins, if we don't understand our need for a Savior, we are, our hearts are not prepared to meet Jesus. 1 John says it this way, If you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself and the truth is not in you. Anyone else comforted by that? Boy, that verse comforts me. Jesus is coming for sinners, period. He's not here for anybody else. So we can play games and act like we're not sinners, but then Jesus wouldn't have come for us. I come for the sick, not the healthy. Meaning, I'm not coming for those who think they are not sinful. I'm coming those who confess their sin and their need for a Savior. Christians, please listen to me. Hell will have in it men and women who looked like Christians on the outside, but who were never prepared for Jesus because they didn't think they were sinners in need of a Savior. It looks like this. I'm a Christian. I come to Trinity Baptist Church. I'll tithe. I'll teach Sunday school. I'll preach from the pulpit. I'll do all these things. I will obey you, Jesus, as long as you stay over there. Jesus comes for your heart. In, in Arkansas, when I preached in Arkansas, preached things like this. This is just heavy on my heart while I was in Arkansas, that you pray some prayer when you're nine and live your life however you want, thinking that the prayer is magic words, then you, you not, might want to check your temperature. Jesus came for your heart, not so that you would say magic words. I had people in Arkansas tell me, I'm going to heaven because grandma's a Christian, she wouldn't let me go to hell. I met some grandmas that I would think, that might be possible for you, but your grandma. That ain't going to cut it. I preached that, preached that for years, and one of the last weeks I was there, a 64-year-old woman who had been in church her entire life came to me and said, it's true of me. I've been playing games, I've been looking good on the outside, but I haven't ever given in my heart. And we baptized her on one of the last weeks I was there. It's fabulous. Is that true for you? 
Do you look like a Christian on the outside, but your heart is not with him? Is that true for you? The whole picture of baptism is a picture of repentance from sins. We are dead to our old life and we live anew. I heard it this way, talking about repentance this week. Jesus died so that we might die. Jesus lives so that we might live. Jesus died so that we might die to our old life and He lives so that we might live. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is foretold before the foundation of the world. Jesus is coming for hearts, and Jesus is undeserved. Listen to this, verse 7. Read it with me again. Little number 7. goes like this. As he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. The Word of God tells us in Matthew 11, that John the Baptist, this man who's talking, is the best man who is only a man who has ever lived. I take that to possibly mean that John the Baptist's heart was prepared in repentance and confession of sin and in holiness more than any other man. The sinful depravity that we all experience, the sinfulness that we all lived in was still true of him, But there was something about him that was further along on the path of righteousness and following Christ than any of us have experienced. And this means, and this means, and take, I mean, we see that, don't we? The guy was so devoted, they wore camel's hair and ate bugs. If there's a man that could earn God's acceptance through devotion and action, it's John. And John isn't fit to stoop down and untie Jesus' sandals. Slaves untie sandals. That's the job for the slave. And if you're un- he's not putting on the sandal, he's untying the sandal. Meaning what? This is after a day walking around in Israel that's really hot walking down the streets that are more sewer and garbage than street. So you don't want to untie. If you're a rich person, you're not going to untie your own sandal. You're going to make a slave do it. A slave comes and unties the sandal. What's he dealing with? John's testimony is he is not good enough to take on in the household of Jesus the most lowly and degrading job available. And that's coming from the best man outside of Jesus to ever live. That means we don't earn the Son of God taking on flesh. That means we don't earn salvation from our sin. That means there's nothing. If John can't do it to deserve it, we can't do it. We can't deserve it. That means this is a free gift from God. This means that it is available to everybody, no matter how sinful we are. This is a free gift. Our salvation call is to accept the free gift of Jesus' sacrifice by knowing we need it and having faith that Jesus will deliver us. 
We are not saved by works or by earning it. Now, the Son of God, who is history, who is totally undeserved, is inspecting hearts. How scary is that? How scary is that? What if my heart doesn't pass inspection? And then it gets worse than this. Once Jesus comes, he preaches a sermon where he says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. How many of us have heard it said, don't commit adultery? He says, but I tell you the truth, if you've ever lusted after anyone your entire life, you're an adulterer before God. He says, who's heard it said, don't murder? Well, everybody. I tell you the truth, if you've ever hated anyone, called anyone a fool, you are a murderer before God. Is anyone in this room getting away with our heart inspection? You are listening to an adulterer and to a murderer. Every man, woman, and child who has ever lived and who ever will live are sinners in desperate need of a Savior. We have sinned against the only God who is all holy and righteous and just. He is so holy that He will always be separated from sin. Remember, holy means separate, right? He is so holy that sin cannot be in His presence. He is righteous, so He will always do what is right. And He is just, so He will always punish evil and sin. Romans 3.23 says it again, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in His holiness, it means our sinfulness has separated from us from Him forever. His justice means He must punish my evil and my sinfulness. And His righteousness means He will punish my sins correctly and rightly. Romans 1.18 sums it up this way, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Anyone getting away? But guess what? Guess what? The first verse says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Gospel means good news. Jesus is good news. All of this is true, that I'm a sinner deserving to be separated from God forever in hell. That is all true. But Jesus has come, and this is a book about good news. That Jesus has come among sinners, and He has come not to condemn, but to save. Jesus has come to offer peace with God. Jesus has come to offer forgiveness of sins. Jesus has come to take the just punishment of the wrath of God that we deserve. He died on the cross to take that punishment for us. That is good news. Jesus came to live righteously and to credit His righteousness to the account of anyone who repents and believes. That is good news. 
And Jesus came to baptize us in the Holy Spirit, to fill us with God the Holy Spirit, so that we'll be holy forever and able to have eternity with God. That is good news. Jesus is good news because he has hope for the hopeless, healing for the sick, righteousness for the sinner, the solution for the broken, soap for the dirty, direction for the lost, rest for the weary, protection for the abused, justice for the oppressed, and salvation for all who call upon the name of Jesus. That is good news. That is good news. That's good news. That Jesus sees your heart of hearts and he has come for you. That's good news. Jesus sees your sin and your heart of hearts and he has come for you. He will be with you for eternity. That is good news. And this is given to all who call upon his name. So that is who Jesus is. And here's some more good news. He wants to be known by you. He knows you, and He wants to be known by you. Can you believe that? Whoever you are, Jesus wants to be known by you. Begin knowing Jesus better by reading His Word. Read about who He is. Begin knowing Jesus better by talking with Him. Pray to him. I don't, know how, I don't know how to pray. Just talk to him like you talk to me. Begin knowing Jesus better by getting to know his bride, the church. You want to get to know Jesus better? Be back with us next week. Begin knowing Jesus better by joining in his gospel mission. Why do we have a mission, a goal to make a thousand faithful followers? What's one of the reasons for that? Because that's the mission of Jesus, and we want more Jesus. And if that's what he's doing, we want to be there because we want more Jesus. So some of you, your step to know Jesus better is by helping us serve each other and serve him. Maybe your step is helping us in the nursery. Helping us with children's church. Helping us clean the building. What's your step to know Jesus better? Some of us need to know Jesus for the first time. Jesus is good news. Jesus is good news. But He's not good news forever for everybody. To those who reject Him, He is the only plan. He is plan A. And his offer for salvation is good to all who call upon his name, but many of us will not call upon his name. Today, for you, if you're out there today and you don't know Jesus, today is your day to repent and believe. Jesus has come and he is offering you good news, but understand his good news for you may end today when you get in your car and drive home. Do you need to be made right with God through Jesus Christ today? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. If that's you, maybe you've played Christian 
Maybe you thought that being a Christian makes you a good person. Maybe you come to church because it's expected of you or you want to be uh, a good person in the community and you think being a part of a church is that. Maybe you've played the role for your whole life as Christian and maybe you're realizing today that your heart has never been with Him. We are a church filled with sinners who have been saved by the work and the blood of Jesus Christ. We've been saved by that alone. And we have men and women in this church that would tell you as, with, with joy, that, that it's inexpre, inexpressible joy that Jesus Christ has saved them and he is worth it. So for you today, if you're not a believer in Jesus, if you've not confessed your sins and repented, we call you to do that today. Jesus' first sermon is this, repent and believe. Be right with God by repenting of your sins and believing that Jesus will take care of you.